Easy Media Podcast is brought to you by Rancho Bravo Tacos. They make it really easy to get great tasting Mexican food. You can stop by any one of their three convenient locations, Capitol Hill, U District, Wallingford, or you can order through Uber Eats, Caviar, or Chow Now. You can also text RBT to the number 474747 and you'll get deals on tacos, burritos, and more. All of the information is in the show notes. Hello. And welcome back to the CZ Media Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Before we start, I'm just going to go ahead and say subscribe to the show, iTunes, Stitcher, or the website. Like it, share it, give us feedback, send me topics, send me suggestions of people who you think are Seattle uh, centric and would want to have their message shared with. A lot, a lot of people, like lots of people, not maybe hundreds of thousands yet, but enough people uh, send me an email to czmediapodcast at gmail.com. And today, well, you know what, before we talk about what we're going to talk about today, did you watch the Oscars? Yes. The whole thing? Yes, I did. I heard that it was a lot. Is it was it shorter? It was a bit shorter because there was no host. Yeah. So what do they do? They had a lot of performances Mm. and the presenters basically were kind of like the hosts. I see. Come up and say like a variety show. Yeah. The Amy, Amy Poehler, Tina Fey and. uh, Didn't they host it one year? They did, and and Maya Rudolph, the three of them, uh, presented early on, and they were fabulous. Mm. Um, what was I doing? I think I was editing taco pictures. I was too busy to watch it, but I did sneak a peek when the best song award was announced because I've had that Stars Born <laughs> soundtrack on repeat <laughs> for weeks now. I don't know why I really like it. Did you? See, so you didn't see the performance? I didn't see the. I haven't seen it yet, and it's been on my recommended iTunes or um, YouTube list, but I haven't seen it yet. You should. You should watch it. You'll watch that on repeat. Also, will it make me man cry? Perhaps. I, I'll. You know, when uh, I've had a few glasses of wine and just sitting there watching YouTube, I'll admit. I'll admit. But I do have a star on the show right now, the Seattle attorney. Uh, do you have, are there awards for attorneys? There are different kinds of awards. Like for, for awesomeness? <laughs> well, they have they, to be for specific things, I assume. be things for, uh, you know, professionalism, pro bono awards. Oh. Um, things like that. Well, I have... A uh, my guest today is Stacy Hurd. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Carlos. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you took time to come and chat with me. Um, we're going to talk about something um, a little heavy, in the words of Marty McFly. That's a great way to describe this. And I, I met Stacy a few weeks ago, and she's like, "I'm a family law attorney." And then I'm like, hey, if I had had a better family law attorney years ago, I think uh, I would have done way better when I got divorced. So then we just started chatting. I'm like, you know what? A lot of this information that you're sharing with me, I think that a lot of people would find useful 
and maybe might help avoid some problems or at least, you know, going into this whole process with with as much information as possible. So I'm glad that you took some time to, to come and chat with me. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to become an attorney. I was interested in the law mainly because I uh, am insatiably curious and I like learning new things all the time. So uh, the law provides that in that, you know, that you're you're doing research, you're trying to apply this research to certain facts of cases, things like that. So it's definitely not boring. Mm. Uh, and it is very intellectually stimulating. Very, You have to be mega curious. Uh, uh, well, I, I th- for me, uh, that's part of why uh, I like being a lawyer. And... And I also really wanted to be able to help people. Yeah. And as a lawyer, even if you're not practicing law, there are so many other careers you can have that a law degree um, will uh, provide you a good background um, to... Like a sports agent. Correct. I wanted to be a sports agent for a while. Uh And I thought if I am a sports agent, I need to go to law school. But then my athletes sort of died out. Right. And there are, like, there are always more that come along, but yes. Yeah, and that's, that's so hard though. It's, it is a tough field and there are, uh, it's a tough market right now mm-hmm. uh, for finding work um, for lawyers and it's expensive to go yeah. to law school. So those are all things that everybody who's isn't considering there it needs a, to. Isn't there a, uh, I don't want to call it a law, but isn't there a program in Washington state where you can help, people without having a degree? There is the limited license legal technician, which uh, is a recent uh, title that was approved by the state. Uh, and these people are, they're, they're more than a paralegal, mm-hmm. but they're less than an attorney. And they can provide assistance to people completing mandatory forms and things like that. Well, this the what we're going to talk about today is what Stacy's specialty is, which is divorce and all of the, well, much more than that. But before we start talking about it, I have to uh, I have to say so. Would it would this be legal ease, as they say, that we're having a general conversation? It isn't meant to substitute for legal advice. And I'm probably just going to end up talking about how I got screwed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I may be a tad bit bitter. Uh, so th- does that does, does that work? That Stacey? works. And if this is Carlos <laughs> therapy, then this is Carlos therapy. <laughs> well, I mean, as much as I try to not put, um, well, it's, imp- it's human nature. I also think it's helpful for listeners to have an example or a hypothetical to talk about because it makes the conversation and the, uh, the, the information I'm sharing, it makes it real. Well, knowing me, I'll probably spin it a lot towards just me. So reel me in if you, if you, if you have to. Okay. 
So, Stacey, if at any time you need to correct me, please do. Because what do I know? <laughs> and, you know, I almost... I almost titled this podcast, What Do I Know? Because that's like one of my most, that's my go-to phrase. It's kind of a weaselly way to get out of conversation, really. But it's also a a good way of, for anyone to communicate with a lawyer because it's expressing, you know, that you you need information. Yeah. And you're open to receiving it. Yeah. And that's the, that's a key thing here. So, Give us your, give us your full title and then give us what you are focused on and what you really want to accomplish and the types of people that you want to help. So I practice solely family law in the city of Seattle. I have my own practice and the areas that, uh, I include under the umbrella of family law are divorce, Uh, committed intimate relationships, which are uh, non-married couples that are separating. Uh, Those cases can be uh, necessary to file if parties own property together and or if they have children together. I do paternity cases, which uh, needs a little bit of an explanation because most people think that involves determining paternity. Yeah, like, is that kid mine? Right, and and that's not the case. Um, there are, when you file a case, it has to fall under a certain category. Mm-hmm. And because unmarried couples don't file under divorce, they must file under paternity if they're trying to determine a parenting plan or custody order. I'm going to use the term parenting plan because that's what the Washington law is. Okay. But some people will think of it as a custody order. So right. child okay, custody. Okay, I see. So just to sort of clarify that. Um, Why don't they just come up with a new category for this? For what? For paternity. Because it's just about establishing a residential schedule and child support. So uh, yeah, I don't know why they don't. Yeah. But it, I, I frankly don't think it matters. Does that cause conflict? There are a lot of there are a lot of cases where children's parents are unmarried, but there's no dispute as to who the father is. Yeah. So, if for cases where there's a dispute about who the father is, I think there's much fewer of those, and so okay. there's no reason to, in my opinion, to separate that out. Gotcha. I'm just explaining it so that p- listeners understand that when someone says paternity, it doesn't mean that it's paternity is contested. Yeah. It just means that there needs to be that there are children. Right. Of an unmarried couple. Okay. And the law in the state of Washington is to do what is in the best interest of the children. Right. So guys out there, if you're going through the divorce and you get you get a paper that refers to paternity, don't freak out. It's probably the start of what you just mentioned. Right. And it wouldn't be guys going through a divorce. It would be guys going through a breakup. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Yes, it yes. It would be unmarried guys going through a breakup. Well, those guys too. Because <laughs> I can I can imagine a guy getting this order. It's an order, correct? No, it would be a summons and a petition. Okay. So getting that and saying, hey, is she saying... Uh, is she questioning or is there a question here? I can see, I can 
put myself in a guy's situ in a guy's shoes and saying, "Hey, why why am I getting this?" Well, typically the mandatory court form, which is the petition, w says it puts that other party on notice. So it will say whether or not paternity is disputed. Yeah, right on the document. Okay. So it's it is a little bit more straightforward than that. Okay. But I don't want to get in get too you much know, in the weeds. This is the problem with all these law shows. <laughs> People binge them, you know, 15 shows a weekend on a Saturday, and then all of a sudden they have a, a law degree. Right. And they right. understand how everything works. Right. <laughs> so other other things that I do, mostly what I do is um, I, I do a lot of work with high-conflict parenting cases. Mm. And uh, I do some international law. I am... Uh, part of the U.S. Department of State Hague Convention Attorney Network um, as a volunteer attorney. So oh. I have worked on cases where children have been abducted and need to be returned back to the U.S. Uh, I would love to do more international law. I'm, I'm going to be doing a training for international uh, mediation in Very family law cases. So uh, that's coming up in about a month. Um so I do that. I'm in very involved in the American Bar Association family law section, as well as the uh, AFCC, which is the Association of Family and Conciliatory Courts. And that is an interdisciplinary organization of attorneys and parenting uh, or mental health experts. So I work very closely with parenting evaluators because mm -hmm. in high conflict parenting cases, you will need an evaluation. Right of the family and recommendations. And along with that, I'm currently co-authoring a book with a colleague who is a parenting evaluator uh, and will be um, publishing that this year, later this year. So you are very deeply involved with many aspects of your, of, of a family law. And it seems like all of the, all of these things that you're involved with just give you greater insight and greater ability to work with the clients that you have, you know, here in here in Seattle. I would agree with that. And I think I have a good understanding of uh, mental health issues, personality disorders and other aspects of human existence right. that affect parenting like and uh, you know, and I and I have a great network of psychologists I can I can contact to talk about a case if I need to, or you know, figure out if I do need a parenting evaluation, and if so, what what are the main issues here? No, that's and, great because the more tools you have, you know, the the more tools you have, and the more things you know, you avoid pitfalls later on, or you can, if you see a, a certain client start to display certain traits you can head them off or you know give solutions before that they turn into full-blown problems right and sometimes it means i change my uh, approach to actually working with a particular client or working with an opposing party who's represented you know by an attorney yeah. most likely but if <clears throat> it would it it assists in negotiating yeah no that's that's all that sounds, well, to me, it sounds like, oh, my goodness, I think I would jump off of something a week into doing this. <laughs> She's laughing. <laughs> I am laughing. But I'm not very, um, 
I'm empathetic for about five minutes. Like I have some friends that want to tell me their woes and I hear them. But then like the second time they come around with the same thing and then the third time they come around, then I'm like, you know what? I don't care anymore. <laughs> well, this is why I make sure everybody goes to a counselor. Yeah. So they have a counselor during the process. It's like, I don't think I could, I don't think I could do what, what you do. So you, your, your focus, your primary, your primary focus is on high conflict cases. Yes, I, I do regular non you know, high conflict cases, right. but uh, those are a lot of the cases that I see and they are the cases that I actually enjoy because they do involve a lot of psychological issues usually mm-hmm. or some sort of disorder. And I find that very interesting. Okay. And the when you get one of these, like, tell me how does that work? Like, what do you have... Uh, like a sort of a game plan that you work off of or is each case really that different where you sort of have to look at it in a new way every single time? Each case is very different. Some of the issues may be consistent from case to case, but sometimes I will take a case that another attorney has been working on and I will substitute in. Sometimes I am working on a case that's brand new and there are um, issues of great emergency, like they need a, an immediate restraining order that is handled very differently than if I'm substituting in for another attorney. Right. Uh, I almost always, uh, get a parenting evaluation. I think that's very important in, in these high conflict cases, uh, because the, the, the goal is to serve the best interests of the children. So they are all different. I wanted Stacy on the show because I went through a, just a silly divorce. And I'll just use the word silly because most of the things that have the, the process to me just seemed silly. So I went through this divorce where I think I made just lots of mistakes. I went through lots of mistakes of the lawyer I chose how I communicated with him, what the expectation was. And I thought it would be great to talk to Stacy to sort of share what my mistakes were. And if someone out there is going through or is considering going through this process, having them create just this outline to avoid these mistakes, because mistakes are painful they're expensive and they just cause unnecessary stress on the whole family structure, especially if you have kids. And I'll Stacy, I'll just start with saying the very first mistake I made was I basically picked the first lawyer that took an in-person meeting with me. I had called the couple and they sort of just blew me off. They just said, you know, I can meet you in two weeks. And then the lawyer that I selected was the lawyer that said, you know, come to my office this afternoon, which is sort of an indicator, right? If he's, if you can get a same day, (laughs) maybe, I mean, well, not necessarily. (laughs) I mean, you know, I can be very, very busy, but if someone needs help and I have the time to, 
you know, set aside an hour or two to meet with them. Um, I try to do that because people are in great distress. Right. And if they've been served with a restraining order and there's a hearing in five days, they need to see someone. Yeah, it's urgent. So I I can try to move things around to meet with people. I've met with people, you know, off hours in the evenings, things like that, because it can be an, an area of law that's that has very emergent issues. Right. So I, I don't think that I expressed major urgency when I when I went to go see him. I just basically said, I want a divorce. I need a lawyer. At the time, there wasn't any pending court dates. It was just me getting the ball rolling. Um, but as I was going through, and you were very nice enough to provide this list of things that you talked to with your potential clients, and the very first one is identify your goals. You know, what about the divorce? What about the parenting plan? What about child support? And as I was going back and thinking, I really don't think that my lawyer asked any of those questions i mean i like maybe i'm choosing to remember this in a incorrect way but given the fact that my whole process was just first of all so long and that nothing really happened it seems like we didn't go into it with a game plan Mm -hmm. so your your suggestion to pick well, I'll I'll say that your com- communication with your lawyer to identify your goals, if that lawyer talks to you in that way, then he seems like he he they're going on the right path. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to when you're when you're meeting with an attorney, find out, um, you know, how what what they know about the law, obviously, mm-hmm. have they explained the process to you. Um, but I think a really good family law attorney understands that, um, and there's science to prove this, that, you know, your frontal lobe shuts down mm-hmm. when you're in very high emotional stress. And when that happens, people forget things, you know. So I remind clients of things all of the time because they forget or I'll follow it up with an email because they need to refer to it. I mean, they're, they're extraordinarily stressed. It's like grief. Yeah. And so it's really the lawyer's job to say to the client, you know, what, what is your goal? I mean, obviously your goal is to get divorced, right? but getting there, how to, how to make that happen, what you want for your kids uh, in terms of, you know, a parenting plan. And then also I, I ask about, I, I always want to know the skeletons in the closet on all sides. Um, I think that it gives clients credibility to come out of the gate saying, you know, yeah, I, maybe I wasn't the best dad, you know, when the kids were younger, um, but I've become more involved lately. And, you know, it, it just gives you credibility to the court but explaining that to clients initially and letting them know that, and, and not every attorney is the same. So not yeah. every attorney is going to take that approach like I do, but in my experience, the court will definitely find you more credible if you, if you fall on your sword about any mistakes yeah. that you've made. <laughs> so you can't go in there and say, Oh, I've been the perfect spouse. I've been the perfect parent. Right. I've been completely blindsided. This was, 
you know, he's just, he or she is just selfish and only looking out for themselves and don't care about the family where I've been here, the pillar of, right. I mean, rarely are things that black and white. Right. So, and if, if someone is accusing someone else of like having an anger problem or a drug and alcohol problem, I will tell my clients to go get the evaluation now. Yeah. It doesn't matter because the court's going to order you to get one anyway. So if it comes back with a result that you don't like, at least then we can get in front of it and address, you know, what maybe you need to start some therapy or something like that. The other really big, most important thing to talk about with clients at the outset is the expense. And so many clients say, well, how much is it going to cost? It's impossible Mm. to determine that at the beginning because as attorneys we bill by the hour right and high conflict cases often take an extraordinary amount of time so i don't know if the opposing party even if my client doesn't want to run to court every five minutes if the opposing party does i have to respond to that sure and sometimes it's not even the opposing party it's the attorney they hired Some attorneys are very litigious and they want to what we call churn the case, which is create ways to make money by going to court and things like that. So like filing motions for everything. Yes. Instead of having a conversation or trying to agree on it um, or doing early mediation, something like that. So would you say that that happens when someone that maybe has means hires a litigious attorney to overwhelm? the spouse that maybe might not have that maybe whatever, you know, if whoever's the main earner. That, that can happen. And we call that the other spouse, the underprivileged spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes if you do go to court on that, you can get attorney's fees up front from the other party. Oh, okay. Um, each party may be allowed to take $50,000 out of an account for their attorney's oh, fees. Of a joint um, account. Right. I see. So, um, that, that's one way to, to get around that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, the, the expense with the high conflict is very hard to predict because right. you don't know, and you also don't know what's going to happen in the future. You know, there are things like, you know, if anyone's ever seen the movie Kramer versus Kramer and they have this big whoop de doo about the kid who fell off the the thing at the park and he cut his lip. And so now the dad's a bad parent because he wasn't paying attention to the kid on the playground. Yeah. It's on, it'll be ongoing. And it was, you know, it made them go to trial and it was this big thing, you know? So there, you don't know if something like that is going to happen in the future in the case that you have. Yeah. And you don't know how the other parents going to react about it. Cause most parents would, who don't are not disordered would say accidents happen. Sure. Kids fall off and split their lip or break a tooth or break a with, bone with, I mean, that means they're playing. Right. <laughs> and this happens in families where they're intact and people are married. Yeah. Right. And nobody's blaming the other parent or, you know, right. But it turns into very, um, it, it gives, it gives one party another reason to argue. Sure. Which just to me, it just seems like a waste of energy to have those types of arguments because, Next week, it could happen to the other parent. Like, they're not looking forward to, okay, he, there was an accident. But when they're with me, then are they being super vigilant or are they saying, can't leave your room? Like, are they putting them in a bubble? Right. 
it just so easily could happen. Uh, the shoe could be on the other foot so easily that it just, to me, it just seems like, why are you doing this? And I think that's another part of managing clients' expectations. Like if I have a client who were to say, uh, let's go after this person for that. Or, I mean, I've had clients say, well, he's always 15 minutes late. And I'm like, you know, a court's not going to micromanage your family life. Right. But, you know, or I don't want to trade this day with him. And then I say, well, you know, there might be a day when you want to trade a day. Yeah. (laughs) So you got to think about that because, you know, someday things hopefully will settle down and, but, you You know. You would hope. (laughs) Yeah. So as I was looking through, as I was looking through your, your list here, I mean, lots of really good information. And, um, I guess I should ask, could this be something that we could share? On my list? Yeah. Sure. Well, we'll talk about it later just to see if you're if you're okay with it. But the one thing that I saw here that me and my personal experience would have probably been the best and would have helped this process along um, would be to get a counselor. <laughs> it's like even though I had decided I don't want to be married to this person anymore, like they weren't going to change my mind about that. But if we had spoken to someone that maybe that person, the counselor could have made us talk in a way where she didn't feel like I was abandoning the whole family and that it really was just an incompatibility with me and her. And then if that counselor could have maybe helped her realize he doesn't hate you he just doesn't see a future, but that doesn't mean that you being separated from him means that he is abandoning kids. Like, I think if a counselor had sat down and we had talked about that and a third party had told her, listen, you know, he just doesn't want to be married to you anymore, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't love the kids or all of these other things. I think that that probably would have helped exponentially. So when I, when I say get a counselor, that's not what I meant, but that's a very good point. So, because by (laughs) the time I see it, yeah, they're already beyond that point, right? right? They're getting ready to file. So what I say to my clients is they need themselves to get their own private counselor because it is a process that is like grief. It's very emotional And by getting a counselor, you're going to be able to work with someone to manage those emotions. Hopefully someone will be able to assist you with um, setting boundaries around exchanges of children and Mm -hmm. things like that. But also that this is the way I I think I really convince people to go go into counseling is it's going to reduce their legal bill. Yeah. Because... They, what happens is, is when I'm speaking with clients, I try to focus on the legal issues. And of course the emotional issues are going to infiltrate. That's just part of this area of law. Right. But to the extent they can get outside help from a counselor and learn ways to have new behaviors and because they've, they've, most people have fallen into these patterns with someone else that they've Mm -hmm. been with for a long time. 
And some of these patterns can be very unhealthy. So they have to, especially in domestic violence cases, you know, they have to learn to stand up for themselves and things like that. So it's important that they're in counseling for that so that they're not spending money talking with me about those issues. It also helps them manage their emotions so that when I'm speaking with them, they can focus more on the legal issues Mm -hmm. and process them in a more linear way of thinking instead of with an emotional bend to it. Yeah. So I guess the, where I was coming from it is, uh, which is maybe sort of like 40% to what you're saying of getting that groundwork before you put, you give someone a credit card, (laughs) like putting that groundwork to say, this is, this is going to happen. First of all, let's try to be civil. Let's make this as painless as possible because it can still, you can still have a positive outcome. And especially if there is kids, that positive outcome is, I don't care if the, in my case, the ex-wife ever speaks to me again, we just, she just needs to, it would be a really good idea for her to separate herself from that and say, these kids still have a dad. He, you know, the, for whatever, for issues of he and I, that is no longer a relationship, but the relationship with these kids is going to be there for the rest of their lives. So if that groundwork is done prior to the starting of the actual legal process, it could help to reduce the expense, the stress, the time. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, when people are in really high conflict, well, I, it doesn't work. I'm sort of generalizing work, it to the, what, I'm, what, I, what I'm referring to is just, I want to say normal, like, like no, no, like let's say that there isn't any, you know, alcoholism or drug addiction or any of these, these uh, extreme factors. If it's, if it's just two people, if it's just, a, you know, I say the word normal with, with, with quotes, if it's just a, a, a regular family, getting this groundwork before could just let it just overall just be easier. That's true, but I don't have a part in that because yeah. I'm not involved at that point. Right. So uh, I'll back up a little bit. I'm, I'll, I'll add that the suggestion to get a therapist or to talk to someone if you're going to do it is a great idea because <laughs> even now I have friends that uh, have started the process and they're just like any other div- married couple that are getting divorced. They hate each other. And one of them did go to therapy and it helped them later on. Like even though they still got divorced, that marriage still ended but their relationship with the kids is intact. Both of them were civil and and uh, and not super angry. Like they didn't keep that anger. And then the other one, including myself, got divorced. Didn't even think. Didn't talk to anybody to, uh, you know, therapy wise. And then ours was a complete disaster. <laughs> I mean, I'm a firm believer in therapy, and yeah. I think that, again, it's going to reduce your, your legal bill because otherwise you're going to be talking to your lawyer about all this. You're going to be amped up emotionally yeah. about these issues. And if you're working with a counselor, 
you're going to be able to better manage your emotions, which means you're going to be able to better focus on the legal issues when you're working with your lawyer. Right. Well, we're going to go on to the next few things that you should consider as you're going through this process, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Guy DeVillier. I'm the owner of That Samore Italian Cafe on top of the Mount Baker neighborhood here in Seattle. Come see us for some great standard Italian fare and specials with a little Pacific Northwest flair. We're open every night for dinner from 5 to 9 during the week and 4 to 10 on the weekends. Make a reservation by visiting thatsamoreseattle.com or give us a call at 206-322-3677. And we're back. You know, I just realized that the last segment, a lot of it was premised on the emotion that I felt and sort of still do of this whole process. And I sort of got distracted from what we were, from what we were, from the the point of this show. Help me, help me bring it back. So... That's a perfect example of why clients need going through this process need to have a counselor mm. because you were, you know, you, you were focusing on what was troubling you emotionally and you weren't focusing on what I was trying to explain right. about the legal process. So it happens all the time and n- nobody should be faulted for that. Everybody's human. They're going through this process, but it's a perfect example of how you can be distracted by the emotion and then you're not able to focus on the, on the legal issues. Yeah. Yeah. I just felt, I felt right into that. And I tried to tell myself, I don't still talk about this emotionally, but of of course that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's like I, in the, I, and I'm doing it again. The, the reason that it's, I do think it's so easy for me to get emotional about it is because there's, a pretty good chance that emotion robbed uh, me of a of a much better relationship with my kids than it should have had. So if there was less of that in there, all three of our lives would have been well better, right? It's mm-hmm. it's it's just better. So getting all of that, well, setting that aside. For a little bit, where 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 would you go next in this? So initially, when I meet with someone, I try to give them all of the information about the process, the expectations. You know, I listen to their story about their case. I try to assess the level of conflict, and you know, w- w- then determine kind of what they might expect. Sometimes people come in having been served with a stack of papers and, you know, they're very scared. Yeah. Uh, and even if you are the one serving the papers, maybe you're scared too. Yeah. It's So it's also important for the attorney to understand that, you know, these people are operating from a place of fear most of the time and, uh, and, and also just the change that's going to be happening in their lives and, um, you know, in parenting plans, 
it's unless one parent has proven to be completely unfit, the children are going to spend time with each parent. That's what the law is. Right. So, but I have people come in and say, and they're in tears, you know, I'm going to lose my kids. You, you're not going to lose your kids. That's not how the law works mm-hmm. unless you have a parenting evaluation or that says, you, you know, you're a danger to your children or you have a CPS report that says you're a danger to your children. Even if you have issues with drug and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, or um, other addictions that are unhealthy, you could still have supervised visitation sure. with your kids. So you would still be able to see them. Right. I mean, you. there are people that are in prison that see their kids. Yeah. So <laughs> That makes me angry. Yeah. <laughs> Not angry. That makes me sad because, again, I might be emotional uh, talking about this in an emotional way, but I had to go to court multiple times to get visitation because I was threatened with police action if I came over. So I'm like, okay, there's no need for that. But obviously she, obviously the person is super angry. So I had to go to lawyers. Like she's not letting me see it. I'm like, then he was like, okay, then we have to get court ordered visitation. And when I was in court for this, I remember hearing like the other lawyers and clients talking in in the court hallway where the mothers, mostly the mothers would say, I tell him to take them, but he doesn't want to. I'm doing this because he needs to. And it was the complete reverse of me. And I thought, holy cow. It's like, it's, it's so funny that I'm here spending time and tons of money to try to get this access. And there are other people that will be given it and they don't want to take it. Right. Uh, and, you know, I've represented fathers who... Um, very young men who have um, they've dated someone very briefly and that person became pregnant and they have had to fight very hard to have you know their a parenting plan that includes them and allows them to be a part of the the child's life so it it's it's interesting because you know, I, I see I see both sides mm-hmm. and um, it is it is it can be heartbreaking to see these people who these fathers who really want to be involved and compared to fathers who don't want to be involved. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, it does become really expensive if the other person is uh, um, unreasonably withholding contact or anything like that. So that is when I tell my clients that we need to have a parenting evaluation mm-hmm. and then and what 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 gets asked in a parenting evaluation so what a parenting evaluator does is uh they do an, a complete investigation and evaluation of the family they meet with each parent they um sometimes they will do psych testing or they will refer the clients out for drug and alcohol evaluations or um psychosexual evaluations Uh, There's all kinds of disorders that, you know, if they detect that, they can have them sent out for evaluations. Ultimately, in the end, what they're going to be doing is making a recommendation Mm -hmm. for a parenting plan that is in the best interests of the children. Mm -hmm. 
in order to do so, their investigation has to be very thorough. So right. they meet with the parents. They observe the parents with the, each parent with the children. If the children are old enough, they interview the children. They review records, medical records, daycare records, all of those things. And then they come up with a report of what their recommendation is. And that gives the court an independent and objective expert opinion as to what's in the best interest, because obviously the parents are jockeying for their own positions. Right. Um, and so my, based on what you've told me about your situation, what I would have done was told you that you need to get a parenting evaluation. And we it's never had one. It's expensive, yeah. but it's worth it because... So who orders a parenting evaluation? The court. So okay. what you would... What I would do is I would, on behalf of my client, ask the court to order a parenting evaluation. Because I can see, I can see how, if a parenting evaluation is suggested, I can see how one person or the other can say, "Oh, they're just going to hire someone who they think will give them the most favorable outcome." Well, typically, what happens is, you know, one party might propose one person and. The other party might propose a different person, and the court would then decide. Um, in in the state of Washington, it's a very small community, so generally people will, may agree on a parenting evaluator. Oh, okay. And if they don't agree, the court I've had courts say to me, "You're going to pick. Here are four people. I'm giving you four names, and you're you're going to use whoever is first available." Okay. So then you don't really have a choice. I see. And they're an objective third party. So um, then they're appointed right. and then. But so you don't need a parenting plan to go through a divorce process from the get go. Like if the court says you do need one, then you need one. But you mean a it, parenting evaluation? Uh, yes, I'm sorry. A parenting yeah. evaluation. So is it a given that you're going to have that you're going to need one? Unless you can agree on on okay. a parenting plan. So basically, the if if you're working with someone and you see that there are conflicts and that you're not agreeing, take a step back. Let's get this evaluation. Right, because okay. then you have it's basically an expert, right? Yeah. It's, it's like if you're dividing property and you want to hire an appraiser to go get the value right. of it, right? Yeah. So you would you might agree on an appraiser and you would get the value and then you would m go from there. And generally, courts will accept a parenting evaluation because they know that's the person who's been the eyes and the ears outside of the courthouse. Mm -hmm. um, the lawyers can't do it because we're representing our clients, and the clients can't do it because they're biased. They're biased, yes. Yeah. I and, you know, you need, you need someone who is specialized in this kind of work and is a psychologist. Right. And I'll, I'll say again that, one... You know, mistake number two that I guess sort of goes along with mistake number one, where I think I just chose the wrong attorney. I mean, he didn't bring any of these things up. He basically just said, you want to get a divorce? Let's get you a divorce. You know, A, A, A and B. Like there was no, or A to Z. There was no, let's do these things. These separate things only happened when, like the visitation. He didn't, didn't talk about it before then. But a problem came up and then he solved it. He wasn't really trying to be, uh, I don't even say, this might be unfair, but he wasn't trying to be helpful. He was just trying to get it done. 
regardless of regardless really of the outcome really of of, of what the final result will be other than than a divorce so if i could tell people that are going through this this is super important you need to have a lawyer that is going to be really communicative that is going to ask these types of questions because if you don't then you're going to not be even though you might be divorced at the end you're not going to be happy with what happens after so this parenting evaluation i think would have saved me saved us a lot we just made so many mistakes and i you know i say to people it is expensive but it can save you a lot of money in the long run yeah and it it's also you know most people really are concerned with the best interests of their children and that's what the law is in the state of washington mm-hmm. is you know you're creating a parenting plan that is in the best interests of the children so some people have a hard time thinking that because they want to get back at the other parent yeah. and use the children. But that's why a parenting evaluation is so important because if so you get a really good psychologist, they're going to be, figure that out. So is a parenting plan going to say, let's just, not hypothetical here, let's just say that both both parents are level-headed, but they still get an evaluation. What would be an ideal result from that evaluation for either of them? Well, it depends on every case. It depends on where they live. Um, Even here in the Seattle metro area, we have a lot of problems with transportation because there's so much traffic. So someone could say, well, I'm going to pick up the kids after daycare and I'm going to have my Wednesday night, you know, three hours of dinner and hangout time with the kids. But they live in... Bellevue, so they drive to Renton and then they get on 405 and go back up to Bellevue and the the kids have spent almost this whole time in the car. Right. And so that's not in the best interest of the kids. So um, all of those things have to be taken into consideration. The age of the children, developmental stages. um, Some kids are in the same family but very developmentally different. Um, For example, a kid with autism who might have a, a sibling that does not have autism, they have different needs. Sure. And this, the younger sibling without autism needs frequent, shorter visits with a parent. And this is what the psychology has, has the data has, has shown. The autistic child needs a very strict schedule. So it may not, there, you may need to have two different parenting plans in that type of a situation because the autistic child who may be 10 may need a week on week off right but you're not going to do that with a three-year-old so you know there's no one answer and that's what is so interesting about family law is that um even though you know the law is not uh constantly changing in the ways that some other areas of law might be changing the facts of each case are very important. And um, that really is what uh, help, you know, drives the rulings in cases. Yeah. And also because the best interests of the children is such a broad you know, concept, it gives judges a lot of latitude right. in what they will, how well, they will each rule. Each parent has a different opinion on what the best interest is. And so it's the same with judges. Yeah. And the judges can, 
you know, it, it's got to be within a spectrum, but it's a very big spectrum. You know, it's not like a contract case where if someone violates the contract, it's kind of cut and dry and, you know. So do you see that maybe more issues come up after this evaluation? The re- what the re- Are they recommendations or are they? Yes, they so make the recommendations and then the court decides. Correct. The court doesn't have to accept the recommendations, okay. but for the most part, they will recommend, they will accept all of them or sometimes they accept most of them and they'll make some little change. Um, one thing that's really helpful about also getting a parenting um, evaluation is that uh, in the state of Washington or in King County anyway, you're required to try alternative dispute resolution before going to trial. So you're required to go to mediation or a settlement conference. You have this parenting evaluation that gives you a lot of uh, power in mediation and getting a case settled so that mm. you don't have to go to trial um, because the parties are going to argue, you know, the court's going to accept this and this, the other party might say, no, they won't. Or they may come up with something creative in between what the recommendations are that both parents can live with. Yeah. And then they reach an agreed parenting plan. So it gives them information as to what a court's going to see and then how a court might rule on that. Right. So it really assists in the mediation process. Do you ever see cases where one party just completely rejects what the evaluation recommends? Yes. And does like how, is it so they just must be compl- completely blinded by maybe emotion, maybe anger or maybe just a little bit of of uh denial of how they are well and and again a lot of those types of situations involve people who have are disordered Mm. and they have personality disorders or mental health disorders that um impede their ability to understand and and accept uh you know the position i mean a parenting evaluation is every everybody's warts are exposed. They talk about, you know, your childhood and, you know, your family and your upbringing and Mm -hmm. because all of those things affect how you are as a parent. And we, you know, we're all, we all have imperfections. Yeah. So someone who is self-aware would, would look at that and say, yeah, that's true. I, am this way sometimes, or I am that way sometimes, or sometimes I'm not cooperative with this area of parenting or, but, but for the most part, the cases I see the, I don't see people that are like that. So sometimes I will bring in a separate parenting evaluator just on a consultation basis to talk to my client about the parenting evaluation to get them to accept it better (laughs) because they can explain to them where their exposure is. Right. Yeah, I mean, see, that's just, if I could go back and do things, I mean, everyone says that, right? I'm, I'm you know, hindsight. It's 2020. Thinking that I, 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 this could have been so much better and have avoided so much, just so much unnecessary, unnecessary conflict. So the evaluator but recommends... What- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but one thing that I want to say to that is that, um, and, and I have to say this to my clients a lot too, is I think on some level you might be a little bit, um, ignorant 
of what's going on with the other party. You're right. Because well, yeah. initially people can be very hopeful and let's see if things can work out or it, it may start off very, very acrimonious and then they get to a point where they can start working together. But um, trying to get people to understand the, um, the impact of perhaps someone that has you know, a personality disorder, a mental health issue, you know, I mean, I've worked with my own clients that way. And I've had to, like I said, bring in other experts to help them kind of understand where they're going with that. But, and I still, I still don't think that particular client has an understanding. Yeah. And it's because, you know, she's not capable of getting it. Yeah. That, I mean, if the, when that exists, I can understand how that can make things just even more I mean, you're just starting off at such a, I don't want to say the word negative, but you're starting off at such a deficit to get to, to get to a good, uh, to get to a good place. So in the, in this process, so if you do get the evaluation, the court sees it, they, they get the recommendation and then the two lawyers go start negotiating that. Do you see that cases where the, that evaluation is in place, they do, are they are shorter? Like a resolution is? Generally speaking, yes. Okay. Um, there are. Not, I didn't ask that question. Well, generally well. speaking, most people will accept the parenting evaluation. And mm -hmm. if they have a good lawyer that says, you know, this is a good evaluation, this person is very qualified. Um, in cases where they don't accept the parenting evaluation, they may hire their own expert to review that evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, they wouldn't do their own full-blown evaluation, but they would s indicate areas where um, the you know they didn't address certain issues that should have been um, addressed, things like that, and then that would be brought up to the court if they're if they don't resolve it at mediation. So it, it, there definitely can be some ongoing conflict about the evaluation. Um, but not, I would say for the most part, it's, they're generally accepted. Mm. What else, what else would you add to that in terms of, well, you had mentioned that it's good. It would be a good idea to have this evaluation before it would be a good idea to get counseling before like what, what is there a third or, or fourth thing that you would say, do this prior to you hiring me or hiring an attorney? I think, well, when I recommend the counseling, I recommend the counseling throughout the entire case oh, and okay. still ongoing. I have a client, a former client um, I worked with six years ago, and she called me this week about um, an issue. And I asked her about, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very frank with my clients. It's not for everybody, but mm -hmm. I want them to be prepared. Right. I don't want to tell them about that everything's going to be rosy and it's going to cost you $2,000 because yeah. that's not how it is. And people need to know up front. So with this particular client, um, we worked very well together. And so I was going through this issue with her and I, I said, you know, um, first of all, you know, you sort of, you need to like let all of this stuff go and you need to get back into counseling. And she said, I'm still in counseling. <laughs> I've been in counseling this whole time hmm. because she has a lot of anger. 
um, at her ex. Right. But she's she's very self-aware and she understands that and she's working on it. Yeah. And she doesn't make it an issue with her kids. So that's good. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the counseling piece that, that, that's to be going on throughout the whole case. Um, in, in, you know, like I said, I do a lot of high conflict parenting cases. So that's why I'm focusing a lot on the parenting stuff. And that is where a lot of the dispute comes in. Certainly people have disputes over property and valuation of property, but what, what attracted you to high conflict? cases well i started um as a uh, paralegal for a family law attorney and then i went to um i, I worked full-time went to law school at night and then i did some other areas of law i did some insurance defense work and i did some um, malpractice of defense for def attorney malpractice mm -hmm. um and uh, did a lot of family law cases with that. And it's, it's a very tough area of law because yeah. there's a lot of criticism <laughs> and, you know, that's the highest, I think besides criminal law, the highest area of bar complaints and malpractice suits and things like that. Mm. So, so people that, blaming their attorneys. Yes. Which <laughs> I makes saw it on your list is like, let's not blame the attorney. Yeah. <laughs> which I mean, sometimes, you know, the attorney might make a mistake and yeah. it, it happens, right? Yeah. I mean, malpractice does happen, but, um, I, what I also try to explain to clients is, you know, I can only work with the facts that you give me. So, if you've had this conduct or this behavior in the past, th there's consequences to that. I can't change that. Right. You have, there's, there's a lot of talk about acceptance, you know, and then I'll say, work on your counselor, work with your counselor on this. Yeah. Um, so, um, that, that, that's like the counseling piece. And then again, the parenting piece of that, that is really super high conflict. What I like about it is that, I, I think that I can be helpful in keeping families as intact as possible. Yeah. And I work with so many psychologists that, um, with that help and those kinds of evaluations, people can try to move forward in a way that is less damaging for example, I'm a member of uh, an organization called AFCC, which stands for the Association of Family and Conciliatory Courts, and it's an interdisciplinary organization of lawyers and mental health providers. Mm. And you know, there's conferences and you know all over the world right. and presentations and things like that. And so, once you, as a as a lawyer, if you're working in these high conflict cases, if you're keeping abreast of the changes in research and development of children and how conflict affects people and tools they can use to reduce conflict and things right. like that. It's very, very helpful. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people will say, well, how many cases have you won? And I say, there's no winning in family law. No, there's just no winning. There's compromise and there's doing what you can to keep the family as best intact when they right. are split up because they're still family. Yeah. And that's never going to change. And it doesn't matter. You're, you don't, you're not done with that other person when your kids are 18. Right. You're going to see them at graduations, at weddings, at funerals, at, you know, all of these other kinds of events. And if you can maintain just, you know, coexistence. 
that's that, huge. That's helpful. That's, you know, my parents divorced when I was in high school and uh, they were married for 24 years mm-hmm. and they spent every Christmas together uh, since my brother got married and had kids and yeah. they did it all for the grandkids and they were all, we were always all together. Yeah. And a lot of people thought that was really weird. It shouldn't be. And you're right. It shouldn't <laughs> be. And they coexisted fine. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, they didn't sit down and chit chat with one another necessarily, right. but we would all sit at the same table and have dinner and we were all doing it for the children. Yeah. I, 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 it's sh- the the it shouldn't be weird. I've said that lots of times when you do when I do come across these couples who have divorced and they have kids but they're still civil to each other. Where you know someone will say, like, why? And I'm like, why are you why are you saying this in a negative thing? It's like this is the absolute best salu- uh, scenario for for the kids. Right. So for my nieces, all of the grandparents divorced and remarried, so they had eight grandparents, <laughs> and the eight grandparents would all be there yeah you know they would spend time with all of them and can if you if you have the ability to just take a step back and say how can i really make this the best for the kids you'll come to understand that you're going to double their that you're going to double the kids circle of people that are going to care for them and and love and support them i saw a photo online once and it was uh some it was parents at a soccer game and they were standing on the sidelines and it said they had they were wearing these shirts and one said dad mom stepdad stepmom yeah see that's great and they were all standing there together like that should be normal and (laughs) i always say ideal not necessarily i I always say there's a kid can never have too much support or too much love no no because and and each person can offer something different right absolutely one person might be very intellectual or one person might be very artsy or one person might be you know an emotional attachment or expanding possibilities is not a bad idea exactly yeah that's what well i mean we could probably talk about this forever but i sort of think that this is a good start and i would love to have you back because even though I did get sidetracked a bit, <laughs> which I tend to do when you listen to the show, if if you're going through this process, it sucks, first of all. It's going to suck. It sucks. But doing some legwork, doing some some foundation work before you start spending money, before, you st- before there's a financial uh, burden on it. And, you know, don't... Don't be mean. Right. I mean, if understand that if understand that two people might not like each other anymore, but that does not mean that that dislike carries over to kids or other family members and think of it in a way that, okay, I am going to be, I can move on which is just so hard to do, right? It's like Well, one thing I encourage people to do is to think about what their motivation is. Hmm. What is your motivation behind this issue? That's a issue? great question. Is it because you're mad at him because he had an affair and yeah. you now want to punish him for that forever? Well, right. by you're punishing the children because 
they still deserve to have a relationship yeah. with their father. So if someone had asked me that, my motive, the, my motivation would just be, I just do not see a future. Right. I just do not see someone who. But I'm talking a motivation behind a, a decision or a position that one might take okay. that is unreasonable. <laughs> see, I'm going back to the emotion. Yeah. It's so human, is it your must dis- be human nature right? So <laughs> when I was talking about the coffee cups earlier, it's it's not about the coffee cups. Yeah. I literally offered to go to Ikea and buy everybody coffee cups that day (laughs) if they would stop arguing about the coffee cups. Um, Everybody, coffee cups for everybody. Yeah. Um, Because it wasn't about the coffee cups. So I said to my client, what is this about? Right. Well, if we take those things into consideration, I think that we gave people a lot of good things to think about as as they're starting this. Maybe things that... Just the fact that I so easily get got wrapped up in the emotional, maybe someone can say, you know what, I'm doing the same thing. Let's just ignore what Carlo said based off of emotion and then just listen to what Stacy said based off of the actual legal process and how to make it as painless as possible. Right. Or just <laughs> or just ha- that could just be enlightening to what does happen with people when they're going through the process an example like and then identifying it and seeing it because you have to be a little outside of yourself to you do to 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 see that right well thank you so much for being on thanks for having me i really appreciate it i want to have you back so maybe we can talk about we can talk about a couple things in a more in-depth way or sure you know what would be cool is if we if i started a legal segment on the show like of current of of current things that happen like sure. the, the bezos divorce mm-hmm. or you know anything that happens like that right that would be cool if you would want to talk about sure. those types of things sure i would love it um but thank you for being on Thanks i greatly again. appreciate it thank you everyone for listening please like subscribe share the the show i'm on itunes stitcher the website. I have a donate button on my website. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I should have done this too. Stacy, where can people find you? So uh, my website is www.herd-law.com. And you can find me there. Uh, and that's got all of my contact information, email, phone, all of that. So I'll make sure to put that in everything that I post put that information on there um so i'm assuming people can call you and uh, get they can schedule they can schedule a a meeting with me yes and as you can see she's very she's she's by she's a hundred times better than the lawyer i had based off of a few questions that she says that she asks her clients from the get-go so i would definitely recommend you reach out and get information on this and, and, and she, she cares and she'll make it as best as possible. So we'll share that information. Uh, but again, thank you for listening. Thank you, Stacy. Thank you. And we'll see you later. Bye.